BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to episode number 93 of the Marine Layer podcast. The Blake Snell rumors have resurfaced. Do the Mariners actually have a chance at him? We'll see what they would have to do to actually make a deal with Blake Snell happen. We'll close out the show with Speak Your Mind. This show is brought to you by our friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85. That's Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland, our favorite place to go hang out. You know winter season's all about sports. There's football going on, NFL playoffs, college football national championship just wrapped up, the NBA, college hoops, hockey. You want to watch all that? Head over there and you can do so by also getting some great food, some great drinks, and a good time hanging out with your friends. If you stop over during happy hour, by the way, you'll get some great specials, which we love. Those are Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. happy hour, which include $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moon, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 house wines. So go do that over at Pagacha's Pub 85 for a great time over in Kirkland. And before we start the show, here's your reminder to download our episodes and leave us a five-star review if you're listening on our audio side of the pod. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube where the full video podcast is, and check us out on social media over on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Thursday, January 11th. We sit in the wait-and-see phase of the offseason. The market seemingly has froze. And with all of that, it just makes you think, Lyle, could a team with over $20 million of cap space, like, cap space, like we talked about earlier this month, cap space, budget space, however you want to say it, could the Mariners have another move up their sleeve still? We're going to have to queue up coming home by Diddy. We're going to have to queue that up on our Spotify playlist here to sync it up for when a certain shoreline native inks his contract. We might have to. Mm. There's people Mm. in the industry saying we might have to. The only Blake Snow info that is out there and public and reported on so that the New York Yankees have made an offer. And like, okay, sure. I'm sure the Yankees have made offers to many people. But Blake Snell is going to dominate the Mariners portion of this show today. Because, well, he's still a free agent. And, you know, we haven't really heard that much about what's going on with Blake Snell this offseason. It's been little whisperings here, little whisperings there. And it's been pretty stagnant. But I want to go back to our Wednesday episode and a good point Scott Braun made. And reiterate at 
this to start this podcast episode. Like Scott Boris's clients are essentially holding what is left of the free agent market like in a freeze right now. I'm sure they all have contract offers in front of them. I'm sure they are waiting for somebody to out-leverage somebody else and give everyone a good deal. I'm talking about Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, and the third one that I'm forgetting right now is... I'm going to give you two. Matt Chapman, who we just talked about, yeah, and then Jordan Montgomery. Okay, so four Boris guys and four the premier remaining free agents have not signed, have not heard many whispers at all. And they might be holding up the market, which the longer it waits, the more we think, maybe stupid, maybe not, that the Mariners might still have some opportunity if they have the space to do it. Here's the other thing, too. It was publicly reported that the Yankees have offered Blake Snell a contract, right? That was reported by John Heyman, who, where does he get his scoops from? Directly with Scott Boris, because those guys are friends. And usually from the New York-based teams, because he's got heavy ties in New York and to both of those ball clubs. We know John Heyman doesn't have ties to the Mariners. I think half the reason he hates the Mariners is because they won't give him any sources. The Mariners, in general, don't leak things out. We've talked about that at length. So if there's a contract on the table out of Seattle for Blake Snell, it's not going to be public. We won't know until he actually signs it and it's announced and we get the passing bomb. So there could be a contract out for Blake Snell right now, and it's just all behind closed doors. Well, the closest to solid reporting we will get is from Jared Carabas. If you don't know Jared Carabas, he is big online. He works for the, his podcast, which is the Baseball is Dead podcast on DraftKings. So Jared was saying something this week, him and Dallas Braden, they're the two flagship hosts of that podcast right there. And so they were doing some free agent predictions this week. And Jared, who knows a lot of guys, right? He's he's not a Jared's not a reporter by any means. He doesn't break news, but he's pretty well known in baseball circles and especially with players. He talks to a lot of people. I mean, he is a very notable person in the Major League Baseball content community. So I think he he knows some people uh, from the amount of time he spends talking about baseball. And he said something very interesting this week that wasn't direct reporting but made it seem like the Mariners could have an offer out to Blake Snell. Let's hear what it sounded like on on his podcast, because I don't think I could do it justice of the tone Jared Carabas was using. Let's hear it. Dallas, where do you think Snell is going, Dallas? Um, I had Snell. I, man, I thought about Seattle for a long time, for a long time. I just don't know. I just, it just doesn't feel like Seattle's, uh, it doesn't feel like they're ready to make that push or willing to oh, make they that are. push. They are. They are. So who you got, Jared? Seattle. Wow. That what sounds confident. They are. They're willing to make a push. Hmm. That's not the words of Seattle has extended a contract offer of market rate to Blake Snell. But that that makes it sound like there's something like they've done something. They've shown significant interest, which, again, we hoped (laughs) we really hoped. And that's the best we've heard. That's literally the best news we have heard from a non Blake Snell camp this offseason about this about this potential pairing by far. And it makes me fucking excited. 
oh, it fires me up, especially because it comes from Carabas, who, side note, I know you said maybe some of you know Carabas, maybe you don't. I'm assuming most of you listening to this podcast know who Jared Carabas is. And another side note, White Whale guest of ours. We really, really hope it happens at some point. We would love to have him on this pod. So will that into existence for us? Because we're trying. But back to Blake Snell. If you are not familiar with Jared Carabas, like TJ said, he is extremely tied in with players. He has players on his pod all the time. He is straight up friends with a bunch of players. He hangs out with a bunch of guys and he hears things from everybody. He is he is so connected. Now, I'm not saying he definitively has this down. I am not saying he has been directly told Blake Snell is a Mariner. That's not what we're saying. But I trust Carabas if he's putting that out on his own podcast on Baseball is Dead with some sort of credibility. Because again, it's not him predicting this. He's saying, oh no, they're in on this. That tells me that the Mariners still have a chance. It's not guaranteed, but they're in this thing. And it was the wording, too, uh, of that sequence where Dallas Brayton says, I don't think Seattle is ready to slash wants to make that push. And when I hear push, I feel like that means market rate for a top-tier starting pitcher. We were just worried coming into this offseason. I don't know if Jerry Depoto wants to spend 30, 28 to $30 million on a pitcher. Well, when Dallas Braden says, well, push, and Jared Krabbe says, well, they're actually ready to make that push. Oh, so you're saying potentially 28 to $30 million or whatever Blake Snell's current market is. Blake Snell's current market could be lower than that. And all of the teams collectively are, are like, no, nah, we don't want to pay Blake Snell $30 million. He's a little too erratic for us to spend that much money. But we'll give you 24 to 25 and the Mariners are right there with them. Okay, perfect. Mariners are in on it. If that's true, that sounds great. And I know Carabas is a funny guy and he's a big personality and some people listening to him might be thinking to themselves, oh, well, is he just kidding? Is he messing around? I, I don't think he is. Again, he didn't, he didn't retract his words on his own podcast saying, no, I'm just messing with everybody. He's going to be a Yankee. No, he stood by what he said. And then on Twitter, when a lot of Mariners people found this and it was like, oh, is this real? Could this really be happening? Carabas did respond to some people and he said, Look, I'm not guaranteeing it, but there's validity to this. So he's doubling down, which makes me think the Mariners are still in on Blake Snell. And we know Blake Snell is still in on the Mariners because if it's up to him, oh, he's playing in Seattle. Man, that Mike Tirico thing was a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> We're talking about almost two months ago now. Yeah. <laughs> long off season. And it, is, it has stretched out. So... Thanks to Scott Boris, he's given the Mariners time to think and strategize of ways to make this possible. So, Lyle, if this were to be realistic for the Mariners, given everything we've talked about for this week, so if you missed our Wednesday episode, let's give the Spark Notes version. The Mariners have capped, uh, we're guessing, and it's reported from Ryan Divish and others that their budget for the end through the end of the 2024 season is somewhere between 145 and 150 million dollars. So how do you work Blake Snell into that? If they're currently sitting at I think the number I saw today was 118 million dollars after the arbitration hearings and and uh, finalities today with the seven arbitration eligible players the Mariners have. So they're sitting at about 118 million dollars which puts them 27 million dollars below that mark. Blake Snell, 
at a $28 million contract could not be signed right now because it doesn't give you flexibility throughout the season. So something would need to happen. The Mariners, I'm guessing, need to shed somewhere between 10 to $12 million to sign him and feel comfortable going into the season, whether they do it after they sign him or whether they do that before they sign him. 10 to $12 million. So that's what I project there. Is there anything I missed? No, you hit that all pretty well. And if you want to just add on to last week's news, I would say this. If the Blake Snell stuff that Carabas is talking about is real, this Robbie Ray trade makes a lot more sense now. They have to shed some payroll. They have to get rid of an arm. They did it. And a guy that's not going to be back till late July or August. So you shed out $50 million of future money on an arm you don't trust quite as much, especially health-wise, and you bring in one you might trust a little bit more in Blake Snell. So that's the positive there. Okay, so what do they do with this? Lyle, what, how do they clear the space to make Blake Snell happen? You're going to have to trade somebody off your roster because you are going to have to clear more money. And we talked about this pre-recording. I think the one that makes the most sense is Anthony Desclafani. He's owed $12 bucks this year. The Mariners have a surplus of starting pitching, even with him. And if you're going to bring in Blake Snell, you certainly don't really need Desclafani. So if there's a team out there, and it could be any of the other 29 teams that just need a fifth starter going into the 2024 season, that's what you pitch. You say, hey, take on Desclafani's money, you can have him. That's the trade. Maybe you get back some really low-end young prospect in return. But that's it. Say, take Desclafani's money, maybe give us a little bit of cash back. No, that wouldn't really make sense because they're going to take on his money. So if you just say, take Desclafani and his money, and we'll call it a trade. I think that's what you do, right? Because it clears up 12 million bucks. That's the easiest one. I said Ty France too, but Ty France's number, especially in arbitration, actually went, was lo- significantly lower than I thought it was. I think we were mentioning, I'll say we, I was mentioning, I saw the number on Spotrack that Ty France was projected to get about $9.6 million in arbitration. Well, the number came out today. He's actually getting $6.7 million, which is significantly lower. You couldn't just trade Ty France's contract and I th- and shed enough money, I think, to make this all work. So that's why Desclafani, the, the, the trade makes sense. I'm with you. I'm, like, I would just give him away as long as someone's willing to take on the $12 million. Hey, you need a starter? Blake Snell can happen for us if you just take this away. Great. Perfect. We don't need anything back. It works out. Great for Anthony Desclafani because when he hits free agency next year, instead of being a swingman pitching 70 innings out of the bullpen this year, he instead is could have a full year of starting in a major league rotation and significantly and cash in on his future and 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 be generationally rich with it with that whatever next contract he could potentially get especially if he goes and he pitches well somewhere somewhere so i think that's great i think that's a win-win for both sides i think desclafani would be happy with that as well because he's he's got a tough battle to get any sort of starts in the rotation it would require injury so that's step number one shedding salary i think that's a pretty easy one there are other more creative ways you could shed salary but that one makes the most sense and is in the highest demand starting pitching is always in the highest demand and the Mariners have a significant amount of starting pitching now what about the rest of the starting pitching is there a strategy that you would uh, tinker with the roster a little bit to make Blake Snell fit in there 
So if you sign Blake Snell and trade Descalfani, you're still you're still six starters deep between Luis, Kirby, Snell, Logan Gilbert, Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, and then if you want to throw in a seventh with Emerson Hancock, they're still extremely deep in their starting rotation. But in terms of what they do as a result, I don't know. Do you think Miller or Wu would still get traded if they signed Snell? I'm not so sure anymore. Just between Robbie Ray and Marco Gonzalez both being off the roster and the fact that Brian Wu may be on an innings limit, and the fact that Jerry and Justin did not seem to like what the market said about Miller and Wu when they were fielding calls on him. Now, that's what the market says right now. What if the Mariners take one of the premier starters off the market and sign him? Then starting pitching again becomes a little bit more valuable, especially five years of control with a starter. So you take the $28 million a year pitcher over five years off the market, and instead, you're like, hey, I have six years of control here, three of them for league minimum, and then three of them in arbitration as well. Does that sound more enticing now? Are you willing to come up and meet my price? This could honestly be a negotiating tactic to drive up the price of Miller and Wu because you're essentially cornering the market yourself. You are hoarding all of the goods on the market of starting pitching that people want and then saying, Oh, you want some? Come and get it. Pay our price. And then some team, if they're desperate enough, might walk up to Jerry DePoto's office and say, all right, I'm willing to talk and make a deal here. A negotiating tactic out of the Seattle Mariners that cost them 120 to $130 million would be quite the turn of events in Seattle's offseason. And you know what? I would applaud them endlessly for it. Let me say that. I will applaud you endlessly, ownership group, front office, everybody, if you actually go sign Blake Snell as a way to then leverage that as a way to get some bats back. Now, here's the only thing I'd say against your argument a little bit. If you're thinking about the Rays, I don't think the Rays are in on Blake Snell. So would the Mariners signing Blake Snell really make the Rays say, oh, now we'll trade Randy or Paredes? Or are you thinking more of the Orioles and the Cardinals? Uh, Orioles and Cardinals, but again, once Snell's off the market, that makes the demand of everyone else higher, and more demand equals higher prices, and the Rays don't want that. No, but do you think they'd still, in that scenario, give away Paredes or Rosarena? I'm not so sure. Probably not. I mean, I don't think they're giving away those guys anyways, judging the quotes we got from Jerry. If they were willing to give away those guys, I feel like the trade would have happened. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like it, it's more likely it would have happened and we would pre- perhaps be getting some different messaging teams can always change their mind and mm-hmm. again we we really will never know but if the the raised desperation level goes up like it has to even if they can't afford snell the guy under him that the rest of the let's say five teams are in on that starting pitcher and they're all competing for him and the price goes up and up and up and we know the Rays can't pay that so they'd be like, hmm, now we got to do what we can to secure our future starting pitching. And that's what it would cost. And that would be some brilliant strategy and just an absolute pipe dream, by the way. But man, would that be awesome? And you could use the same argument for the Orioles, too. If the Orioles are, say, interested in Jordan Montgomery and they look at Blake Snell and say, OK, he's going to be too expensive. Dylan Cease. Well, we've called on him, and the White Sox are asking for the world and back, so we can't do that. Then if Snell signs with the Mariners, Montgomery becomes potentially out of our price range because Boris manipulates this market, and we still need starting pitching. Then maybe they do get a little more serious about Miller and Wu, and then maybe in that scenario, 
the Mariners circle back to the Heston Kerstads, the Kobe Mayos, the Jordan Westbergs of the of Baltimore system, and then maybe something potentially gets worked out. It's possible. So maybe that is what they're slingshotting here. And Jerry calls Mike Elias and says, hey, I know you don't want to give up the world for two years of Dylan Cease, but would you want to give up the world for six years of one of my guys? Six is better than two. Right. And the Mariners would not be asking for the haul that the White Sox would be asking for. They'd ask for a lot, but I think the White Sox are asking for things that are borderline ridiculous right now, which is why a Dylan Cease trade has not happened. Again, if Bryce Miller was traded for Kerstad and Kobe Mayo, that could get it done. I'm not in the front office. I don't know for sure. But if I'm just spitballing here between what we think is a fair price and then what the Orioles might be forced to do if all these pitchers go off the market, possible. Definitely possible. Now, I also think there's the possibility that they just keep all these guys because there's going to be some innings limits this year. Number one, okay, I shouldn't definitively say there's going to be innings limits, but Brian Wu blew past his innings limit last year. Nobody expected him to throw as much as he did. He did so. He did so beautifully. He kept the Mariners in the race all season long. He deserves a ton of credit. But that may have effects on him year two if they don't manage his innings. So I'm not saying this is a certainty. But I do wonder if the Mariners start Brian Wu out in the bullpen to begin 2024, have him throw three to four innings a week, and then maybe by May or so, they'll say, okay, now let's put you back in the rotation. And if that's the case, then you can't really afford to trade one of those guys because then it turns into Descalfani starting or forcing Emerson Hancock into starting, and maybe the Mariners don't want to do that. So is that you're anticipating injury or is that a six-man rotation? Because this is given Blake Snell. Yeah, he's pitching. I'm, right. I'm saying, right. right. Okay. I'm saying if Snell had never happened and they still wanted to manage Wu's innings, then right. that results in having Desclafani pitch. No, if you sign Blake Snell, the rotation can become Luis, Kirby, Snell, Logan, and then Miller in April. Wu could pitch out of the bullpen. And then once they feel like they've managed Wu's innings to a certain extent, we think, again, just from our eyes and, and, our, and what our data publicly says to us and the rest of the baseball world that looks at analytics and says, okay, Wu probably has higher upside than Miller. Wu seems to be valued more than Miller, at least right now. We would assume if Wu's innings are managed in April or so, or maybe the first six weeks of the year, and then they say, hey, let's get you back in the rotation. If there's no injuries by that point, Miller's probably the odd man out, and then you can move him to the bullpen, and he can pitch out a relief for a little while. And then if there's injuries, there's somebody that very, very easily slides right in and everybody feels great about it. It's like, Bryce Miller's your sixth guy? That's pretty awesome. And then you don't have an issue with starting pitching. It was like Jerry said at the end of the year when he, when he was asked about, like back in October, about trading one of the young arms. He says, look, you have starting pitching until you don't. Maybe his philosophy, if they sign Blake Snell, is just keep all these guys. Pitching's our strength. Let's use it. Most importantly, this allows you to keep all of your best arms at the big league level. You could talk about sending guys down, and both Miller and Wu and Hancock, who will start in the minor leagues, all have minor league options. But wouldn't you just rather all the best pitchers pitch at the big league level as much as possible? I mean, I would. And another thing, too, is that Jerry said a potential fun bullpen addition, I think. Brian, Brian Wu would be pretty fun in the bullpen. I think Bryce Miller would be pretty fun in the bullpen as well. As long as they're making you better and you're you're not trashing their future as a starter, not in any sense, then why not do it? 
Like we keep coming back to Dustin May. We've said this a couple times on this podcast. Dustin May, for his at least first full big league season, pitched out of the bullpen. And he did great for the Dodgers, and he had no issue with it. And then eventually, when there was space for him in the rotation, they slid him right into the rotation, and he took off. Unfortunately, he's been hurt for the last couple of years, hasn't gotten to throw all that much. But when he's been in the rotation, he's been very, very, very good. And you hope that the best way to season these youngsters is to keep them in the bullpen. You kind of limit their exposure a little bit. You can you have more time between outings to tweak things. You're not as tired. You're not as worn down. You're not relied upon as much. And it's like, hey, look at these bulldogs in the rotation. I mean, you you need to be just like the afterthought behind Ace Castillo, Ace Kirby, Ace Blake Snell, and very good Logan Gilbert. Those guys just let them go do their thing. They're going to go mow down an opponent's lineup. The other two guys, like, listen. Work your shit out. You got this. You can be a great major league pitcher, and these other four guys are going to take it, take the pressure off of you. Well, for all we know, by the end of year two, with the way Wu's trending, he could be a near top of the rotation starter. That might be a lot to ask in year two, but he could be very much trending that way or be on the Logan Gilbert track by the end of year two in terms of where his success is at because all the data says that's who he is as a pitcher. So Stuff-wise, yeah. stuff sure. I will note those first four all 200 inning guys. I would be shocked if if okay. Brian moves 200 innings this year. He's going to be not like even, 150 not, max. Yeah, not even shocked. He's not throwing 200 innings. Sorry, you're right. I should say in terms of stuff, he yeah. could be that type of guy. Like his ERA could be in the low threes by the end of year two, or in, at least in the mid threes, the way Logan was trending after his year two. But yeah, in that scenario, your pitching is just nuts. And it's like you said, they keep talking about we need to add another bullpen arm. What if your bullpen arm's Brian Wu or Bryce Miller? Well, that works out pretty well. That's a bullpen arm that can be really effective. And I kind of floated out the idea pre-recording when we were talking about this and throughout the last couple of days about, oh, would one of these guys start in the minor leagues? They could make some short starts back in Arkansas, and then you manage their innings. And then we thought more about it, and we said, well, if you're going to do that, just put them in the bullpen. Brian Wu and Bryce Miller are both one of the eight to 10 best arms in the whole organization. So if you feel that way about them and you should, then they should just pitch in the bullpen, get their innings that way. And then they can still help you win games. So if you ditch Desclafani, so the payroll right now is at $118 million. Ditch Desclafani, uh, you give away all of his money. That brings you down to $106 million. Mm-hmm. And then you sign Blake Snell. Let's say Blake Snell signs his projected MLB trade rumors uh, deal of seven years, $200 million. I don't know if the Mariners go seven years, but that's what the prediction is for MLB trade rumors. rumors so let's just roll with it. That's a $28.5 million AAV for Blake Snell. That would bring Blake Snell's number up to... It's. I just did some quick math. It's would be 134. And yeah, 134 and a half. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's and, where it would be. And if we are at Ryan Davis's projected end of season budget of 145 million dollars, that checks off the box I laid out on Wednesday. Of I would like 10 million dollars to work with in season because you don't know what's going to happen. And that leaves you with that. You have about nine and a half million dollars of space. You are within the budget, and most importantly. The team is better. (laughs) For all we know, it could be more like $15 million in space. If they really have $150 million in their payroll budget when the season starts, 
then there's 15 million bucks to add during the season at the trade deadline or wherever. And like we've talked about, the Mariners cannot have another trade deadline with a contending roster where you go out and get Adam Warren and Zach Duke and Cameron Maven. That's what killed and tanked the 2018 season. And that's what jump started this whole rebuild. They missed the playoffs that year and they knew it was an aging roster. Mm-hmm. So if you have money to spend in season, then you can keep adding to get better. If look, if Luis Urias like works out at third base and he's really a two to two and a half win player, awesome. But if you get to the trade deadline, you feel like you're a bat short. And a lot of what the speculation has been from the outside world, us included about, I think they need more bats and then they don't have it come mid July. Well, then at the deadline, you could say, let's see who's available. Let's go get somebody and you have the money to do it. So then you can still improve the offense as long as you're in it by the trade deadline and they should be. And you can't even, even if you liked what the Mariners did the past trade deadline, the idea is to contend, remember? And the, and the trade they made for Paul Seward was not a contention trade. Unfortunately, even though they won a shit ton in the month after with Dom Canzone and Josh Rojas, the trade itself at the deadline last year was not a win-now trade that did not add payroll to the roster. A trade, In fact, traded payroll off the roster and Paul Seawalt. So you need the ability to do a Luis Castillo-level trade if you need to. If there is that kind of player out there that can push you to the playoffs, it, it needs to be available. I, I thought this was done. I thought Blake Snell was cooked. I thought the idea was out the window, unrealistic. Uh, Mariners are cheap, never going to happen. But the more we talk through this and with Carabas's comments, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I can't believe I'm feeling this way. I know. I think the same thing. And I shouldn't be. It's stupid. It's it's moronic. It's ill-advised. It's it's fan brain. But I am thinking it. I am really, really thinking it. And look, we've talked about what Blake's who Blake Snell is. And what he brings to the table. We know he strikes a lot of guys out. He's got two Cy Youngs. He's got big stuff. He also walks a lot of guys. The Mariners could think that with their pitching program that they could help him cut down on those walks a little bit. But I just thought I'd remind people of that. And you guys probably do know. We don't need to spend a whole ton of time breaking down Blake Snell's profile. If you want to, we've done a previous episode this offseason doing so. So you can go back and listen to that. But all that said, I would still sign him. In a heartbeat, I would still sign him. And if you think you can't go sign the bats to go win, in terms of, or sorry, not to go, not not to go win, but in terms of, if you don't think you can sign the bats right now to make you a contender offensively like you want to be, do it through pitching. That's your strength already. Your rotation all of a sudden has Blake Snell as your three starter who just won the Cy Young. Well, that's a way to win ball games if you're just going to limit opposing offenses to less than two to three or like to three runs a night or something like that. And remember what I said about hogging all the starting pitching all of your pitching becomes more valuable by acquiring all of it and mm-hmm. making other teams be more willing to trade with you because you're like hmm, I, there's no what there's less out there to sign so yeah. i gotta i gotta get pitching any way i can and they would be willing to make some trades and trade some impact pieces for your impact pieces i'll throw one more idea out there as we start to wrap this up and you talk about having some payroll left in season Now, this would be the extreme trade, but you mentioned if the Mariners need the room to make a Luis Castillo trade, you have to have some payroll budget available. We talked about Dylan Cease is probably getting traded at some point, right? We got dragged by White Sox fans for this at the start of the offseason. I'm going to bring it up again. If the White Sox are not contending again in July, and we know they probably will not be, at some point, Luis Roberts is going to get traded. 
If the Mariners were serious about swinging a trade like that, and all of a sudden then he was on the table, well, you'd need some money to trade for him. And then all of a sudden, you have it. Now imagine that pipe dream of a world where you sign Blake Snell and go get two and a half years of Luis Robert in July. Well, that team can win the World Series. Mm, I like that. There's another thing I don't think we're thinking about with Blake Snell. I threw out that deal that was projected seven for 200. I don't know if we're taking into account the flexibility Blake Snell will make to pitch in Seattle. I don't know what level he is willing to step down to come to Seattle and pitch. It could be a small step. It could be a big step. That is not made transparent. We will only know that once the con, if he signs in Seattle and we see the contract or Ryan Divish says, gets the information of what the contract number was that they offered Blake Snell. But that's entirely possible that he could make it very financially viable for Seattle to sign him. Say, they're like, hey, listen, we don't have as much to spend right now. Can we defer some money in the future? Can we defer a little bit of money? This has been the off-season of contract deferrals. Blake Snell, why don't we send a little bit of your money down the road so we don't have to deal with it right now and we have a little more budget to work with? How does that sound? I like that idea. Pulling out the old Andrew Friedman trick, getting some deferrals on the books. I'd sign up for that. Uh, the Mariners can play can pay Blake Snell four to five million dollars for the few years after his contract ends. That's fine. Sign me up. Sign me right up. That works. Uh, that or I mean, they could throw some opt outs in there. There should be mm-hmm. some club options, mutual options, whatever he feels more most comfortable with. They need to do whatever it takes to get him. Mm-hmm. Get him. I know people are going to hate us. People bash us in the YouTube comments all the time about Blake Snell and not wanting Blake Snell. Well. I'm going to just take a stance for Lyle and say we at the Marine Layer podcast really fucking want Blake Snell. Foot down. I would love it. Because then all of a sudden, here's your offseason. You've signed Blake Snell. You've signed Mitch Garver. You traded back for Mitch Hanniger. You got Luke Rayleigh, who's a very good bat. Is that such a bad offseason? I mean, I guess you can throw Urias in there, too. Seems like a decent offseason to me. Cy Young and three bats? Yeah. Yeah. If you said... The beginning of the offseason. Three everyday starters and the Cy Young winner. The, yep. <laughs> that would be quite the sequencing of an offseason. Because think about where we started. We started with 54%. We're doing Mariners fans a favor. All that. Just a couple days after the season ended. Then all the root sports stuff comes out. Everybody's going nuts. Us included. We're losing our minds. Then Shohei signs with the Dodgers. It comes out that he got $700 bucks, And we see, oh, the Mariners, they were not even close to getting Otani. And then all of a sudden, at the very end, you look up and down at your roster and you see you've added Blake Snell, Mitch Garver, Mitch Hanniger, and Luke Rayleigh. So like you said, Cy Young winner and three bats. Well, that would be quite the sequencing and things weren't done in the order that people would have liked. But at the end, that would be a win of an offseason. I agree. A win indeed. Before we get to speak your mind, let's hear a word from our friends over at Simply Seattle. Now, if you remember on this podcast, I made a declaration to improve my style this year and get some better clothes. Well, you can get some great clothes if you go shop with our friends over at Simply Seattle, and you can use our code MARINE15 for 15% off your order. They have all the best Seahawks gear, Mariners gear, Huskies gear, Sonics gear, cracking gear, anything you want, Pacific Northwest themed gear. Go to simplyseattle.com and use our code 
Marine 15 for 15% off your order. Go check them out. Okay, Lyle, let's get to Speak Your Mind. Speak Your Mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. What is on your mind this week? We have a lot. We do have a lot. Do people want a quick little update maybe about my first couple days here in New York City? If you're watching on YouTube, you can see that it's not the usual background I usually use. Well, I guess if you've been watching for the last week, you've noticed I've been in different backgrounds. But yeah, yeah let's do it. Um, let's do it. I was actually going to ask you that at the end, but uh, the, we well, are more than okay. happy to lead off with it. No, let's do lead we, off. Go ahead. Okay. We already started. Okay, okay. Um, well, it is definitely an adjustment period. There's no doubt about it. When you make such a drastic change in your own life and you go from the West Coast, 3,000 miles away, all the way out to the East Coast, even if for the time being, it's temporary. Because again, like I've told people on social media, on the podcast, I'm giving it about somewhere between two to three months, and then I'll reevaluate from there. But for my first few days being here, it's definitely an adjustment period. Again, I think anybody that would go through something like this or move to a new place on your own, you haven't, I've visited a lot, but you know, you haven't spent extended time here before like this. You, you know, you have to get your bearings, you have to get used to your new living space, and you have to get used to your new neighborhood and all that stuff. So yeah, like there's been ups and downs for the first couple of days. Again, it's really only been about 48 hours or so at time of recording since I've been in the new place. But with each day, it gets a little bit easier and easier. I mean, I haven't started really meeting up with people yet. That'll start next week or so, both with friends and with networking people that I'm planning to meet in person with. So once that all kicks off, that'll make it a lot easier. But I will say today, it was finally nice out. The first two days were not very nice, which kept me cooped up a little bit. And I walked around Central Park. I walked around Park Avenue, you know, kind of saw some of the shops and restaurants that are around the area. But especially walking through Central Park, like that's always really nice. And it's certainly always a mood lifter. So first two days went about, I'd say, how you'd expect. It's it's new. You're trying to get adjusted to everything. But so far, it's, yeah, it's pretty solid. Did you eat any pizza yet? Not yet. I haven't even checked where the closest Joe's pizza is to me. I might honestly do I wasn't that. even talking about Joe's, like just period. Oh, no, I haven't eaten any pizza. Yet. I know. So I haven't really gone out for much food yet. And maybe that's because I've been doing so much running around. But I'm going to guess starting this weekend, I will start eating New York food, yeah. which again, if, if I don't, if I don't, I'm going to be a little bit ashamed because to just spend, a, you know, an extended time period here and not take advantage of New York City uh, eats. That would be a mistake. So I know we love Joe's. Both you and I have spent taken a considerable amount of trip to Joe's. But my challenge to you is to try as many places that are not Joe's. Like we know what Joe's is. Mm-hmm. So now the the time is to go find the other great spots that we didn't get to go to because that is what I'm jealous about. I want to go find those other spots, but I haven't gotten to because we went to Joe's so many times. Okay, I will. I will report back when I find other good pizza places. I'm sure I'm going to find them. There's a million of them in New York City. So well, that's good. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to have Joe's at some point. I'm sure I'll have a different, a bunch of different type of food at some point. But I will make it a challenge to find some other good pizza places. So do you, you go to a bodega yet too? No, I don't know if bodegas are really my thing or not. I know they're. I know you. No, I like know them. they're. I know they're not. But <laughs> I think just once you should go. All right, just man, try it I'll, out. I'll, I'll, I'll put a. I'll put a firm maybe. They'll make you a turkey sandwich. It'll be a banger of a turkey sandwich, but it'll be good. What about that place we went to in the West Village that was really good with those sandwiches? Now, those were good. So that's not a bodega. No, I know that's not a bodega, but if I'm going to get a sandwich, shouldn't I just get something like that? That'll be good, but a bodega is like, 
real like real New York right there. All right. Just more well, like I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's because uh, that that was like not like really a touristy spot, but like you know, a bodega is just like a little more dirty, a little more ingrained into the right. community. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's the New York saying. City staple. Well, I'm trying if to remember. There's not a rat running around it, then it's not a good <laughs> bodega. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I've got a funny story for people, by the way, and I I told it to you the other day, but. When I went to the store my first day here, I, I got my stuff. I was walking out. I, I passed by some random stranger and he goes, anybody ever told you that you look like the dude from Saturday Night Live? And I said to him more times than you can imagine, buddy, like you would not <laughs> believe. Actually, I don't even know if I've told this story on the podcast before. I get told I look like Pete Davidson and Christian Yelich all the time. Like some people say one, some people say the other. That guy who randomly walked up to me in the store clearly thought I looked like Pete Davidson. So, yeah, that happened. Now, I wasn't that shocked, but I didn't think it would happen so soon. Hey, man, uh, the, the New Yorkers are loud. So they, they're, they're, they, they do not, nothing sits on their tongue very long. No, no. And then, yeah, again, I won't do this every single speak your mind on the show. I mean, if people are interested to hear an update all the time, I can. But I figured I'd mix some other topics in. But, you know, first couple of days here, felt like I'd talk about it tomorrow since I have some more free time. I'm supposed to do stuff with people later in the day probably like evening night time tomorrow but i've got some time during the day i figured I might try to walk around more of the city tomorrow whether you know i was just in central park today maybe i'll go down to you know like we walked the highline a couple months ago maybe i'll do that again or some of the other nice highline places nice. yeah scenic places like around the, the city like i'll have some time and i am planning to see a lot of people while i'm here but especially in your first few days sometimes you get a lot of time on your own so because i have that i was like well how can i best use that so i was glad i walked around central park for a bit today and Maybe tomorrow I'll get on the subway and walk and uh, check out some other places too. So that'll be good. Yeah, that's your little update. Now, away from me and back to what I'm guessing you're going to bring up, which is within the sports world. If we get away from baseball for a minute, uh, there has been some shakeup on the gridiron, both amateur and professionally. And I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, you're itching to bring that up. Well, it was just kind of weird to see that Pete Carroll will no longer be the Seahawks coach. You and I, I think, after the season ended, agreed that it was time to move on mm -hmm. because the team was not good enough. They had too much talent to be playing the way they did. They missed the season. There were multiple issues over the course of the season where you just look at it. It's like, man, it just looks like the team doesn't care enough. They're undisciplined that Tariq Woolen's grabbing his nuts, running off the field after the final game of this the season and they're smoking cigars after missing the playoffs in the final game. And it's like, this does not look like a Pete Carroll team. This like, doesn't look right. This doesn't look like there's a control over the roster. And I think Jody Allen agreed. And yesterday on Wednesday, they made the decision and it's kind of weird when you just zoom back and look at a dog. I was 11 years old when Pete Carroll was hired 11 Right. I was in seventh grade yeah, when Pete I mean, Carroll was hired. That the, is, that's kind of bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. My whole growing up, uh, my whole, I would say, like cognitive growing up period of my life has been Pete Carroll. That's it. <laughs> and he's no longer the coach. And it's watching his press conference yesterday and all the emotions that came out of him and just seeing how much he cared about his players and all the people in the organization and all the coaches who came through there. And 
I couldn't think of anything more telling the fact that I opened my phone this morning and saw that Russell Wilson got on a plane and flew up to Seattle to have dinner with Pete Carroll and Richard Sherman and Bobby Wagner and Cam Chancellor yesterday. The man who had the most public breakup that we've all we've ever seen in Seattle sports history got on his got on a plane and flew to Seattle to see Pete Carroll like that that blew my mind and that just kind of encapsulated the impact that Pete had and it's incredible I'm I'm gonna miss him but it was also the right decision I echo all that also forget Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll which that was surprising enough in the sense of maybe Russ realized oh grass ain't always greener is it maybe that was kind of maybe that was in some ways Russ's way of showing his appreciation to Pete, you know, considering a year ago reports came out that he tried to get him fired, but maybe they've kind of, maybe they've made that, maybe they've kind of gotten past that at this point. I I think Pete is, Pete is one of the most forgiving people there is. That's what it seems like. He's always willing to take whatever flack it is for his players and put it on himself instead. I mean, The only player missing from there that I thought would have fit in perfectly was Earl Thomas, another public breakup from Pete. Unfortunately, I don't think you or I know where Earl is or what he's doing. Hope he's doing hope he's doing well. We haven't heard from Earl in a while. Would have been nice to see him there. But uh, it just like it just very much what Pete does, like no matter what happens. Yeah, he's always there to forgive. Now, the second part of this that I was going to say was. Was it honestly more surprising that Russell Wilson and Richard Sherman were in the same room? They they like they were in the same room together and hung out. Did you did you see what got said on Seattle Sports today? No. So so the final Pete Carroll show will be airing on Friday morning. So by the time this podcast is out, it'll be out. But they tweeted out a little bit of, a little clip of it today. And you heard Pete talking and saying that you know, I see Russ and Richard talking at the end of this dinner as everybody's starting to leave. And they come up to me and say, look at what the circumstances have to be and how important something has to be for the two of us to be cordially talking in the same room. All because of one man. Yeah. Those, those, like those two, those two don't get along. Like we know, I mean, maybe they do a little bit more now, but as far as everybody knows, they don't really get along. So maybe, maybe Pete was the bridge to that. He's the yeah. ultimate, the ultimate culture guy. And I don't think anything represented like what he brought than that. Yeah. Like he let every player be themselves. You saw all the outcry and from, I don't want to say generations, but from just different eras of the Pete Carroll Seahawks in terms of guys that were speaking out, how appreciative they were from people like Russ and Sherm and Doug Baldwin, all the way to somebody like Julian Love who only played one year under Pete, but he was like, this is the most fun I've had playing football in so long. And that's thanks to you. Look, it was time. You can't be a defensive coach and run out of bottom third defense year after year after year. Like that's what was happening at this point. It doesn't mean I'm not going to miss Pete Carroll, the person, the leader, the motivator, the culture builder, all that stuff. Like that can't be forgotten. It will not be forgotten. Pete Carroll's almost definitely going to get a statue built of him. And he is the greatest coach the Seahawks have ever had. We didn't like the Seahawks were not the Seahawks before Pete Carroll. They didn't finish over 500 every year, year after year. In fact, they did far from that. Pete Carroll changed what Seahawks football is. And I think everybody should be nothing but appreciative of that while also acknowledging, look, it was just, it was time to make a little bit of a change. And he's still going to be in the organization. That's the best part. He's still going to be involved. You know, whoever the new head coach is, is probably going to let him like hang out and run around at practice and still like hype guys up. He just won't be coaching. That's if he doesn't get hired. 
Yeah. Do you think he'll get hired somewhere else? I don't know. So he, I, I don't know how this technically works. So he has a year left on his contract. That's why people were like, okay, I could definitely see him coming back next season. So if someone else wanted to hire him, they have to trade for him. Or do you just buy him out? Or that. It's a good question. I don't know how this works because like, I don't know how, like why the Broncos had to trade for Sean Payton because he was retired, not coaching anymore. But the Saints owned his rights. But the Seahawks, I think, by mutually parting ways, don't own his rights anymore. But mm-hmm. they still have to pay him. Right. So, so I think that's how, how that works. If he stays, I think that's a very good thing for the Seahawks. Because again, and then he'll still be around. It's just that he's not going to be the head coach and John Schneider is in full control of these drafts. And I think we've seen John Schneider be more in control of the last couple of drafts. Do you know why? Because they started to go a little bit better. We saw him get Devin Witherspoon, Boye Mafe, Charles Cross, Jack, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Like just drafting truly the best players. And it's worked out. In that way, it's worked out. Speaking of drafting, as much as I love Gino, this kind of signaled his uh, the, the writing on the wall a little bit. I know Pete loved Gino. We heard him talk about Gino and Drew Locke quite a bit. This makes me think they're taking a quarterback. You think? New head coach, yeah. new quarterback, all that? Yep. Yep. Well, and, and that would make some sense. Gino still has a year left on his deal, so whoever the new quarterback is doesn't have to start right away. But yeah, mm-hmm. that would make sense. Who's it going to be, though? Like, is it really going to be Michael Penix? I just, I just don't know. Like, is, is, is he an NFL quarterback? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. He just I think doesn't, he, is. he just is not very good outside the pocket. That's the only thing. So that's a sacrifice you might have to make. Yeah. I mean, look, you're not picking one or two. You're not getting Caleb Williams or Drake May. So you're going to accept that. So obviously, whoever you pick will have some limitations, but just about what can the new head coach get out of them? I think what we've realized, though, is that the best way to win in the NFL is with your quarterback on a rookie contract, no matter who it is. Mm -hmm. Like we see the Chiefs now. Patty Mahomes might be the GOAT. He might be the greatest of all time, but the Chiefs are not quite as good because they have to pay him a fuck ton of money. And it cannot go to the rest of the roster. But if the Seahawks can have a quarterback with five years of control and let this head coach go and build the roster around them, that's how you win. Like, that's how you win. No matter who the coach is, that's how you're successful in the, in the NFL today. That's what the 49ers do. So do we think it's going to be Dan Quinn? Well, he's the favorite. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to... Do we think it could... It, the pipe dream of Lincoln Riley, do we think? Are you still on that? Like, if we're thinking offensive guys, unless they're going to go after Ben Johnson, who's the Lions offensive coordinator, or Dave Canales, who's the Bucks offensive coordinator, who are two options, but I, Canales would make more sense than Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson, I think, is favored for other jobs. Wouldn't that make sense? Like, it I would. mean, Lincoln's quarterback's leaving. He's out. And Lincoln is all of a sudden going to a conference where he's the fourth best, fifth best program there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Oregon, all better programs than his right now. You could argue you could argue Washington right now, too. Well, okay. We got a little bit to to go on this this segment. I'm just laughing for, for those watching on YouTube. The reason you may not know that I'm laughing, is TJ's been on this train since, I don't know, 2019. So I'm just laughing hearing him bring it up because we were very much in the Let Russ Cook train when that started, which was probably right after the 2019 season. I mean, there had been like murmurs of it before and, and people talking about it. 
But like the tidal wave of let Russ cook people started after that Packers loss in 2019. And it was around then when TJ was just adamant. It's like, ask Pete to retire, go get Lincoln. I haven't heard about this in a while now because we kind of let it go. And now we're hearing this Lincoln Riley thing come out of TJ's mouth again. So I'm just laughing. Could it be, it it has never been more realistic than it is right now because there's an opening. And the Seahawks said of all of the NFL teams that have jobs open is the, that's the best job, period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to segue here, what about the job in New England? Whose roster would you take right now? Oh, roster, the Seahawks. But I guess like pedigree and reputation might be New England. I, I guess. I, yeah. I think the Seahawks job right now is the best one. They, they have the best supporting cast for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's like you could, you could argue there. But if, if uh, I'm taking like what's going to happen next year as well into this. Yeah. I don't and know the if the Seahawks roster is a playoff roster. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much time we even want to spend on Belichick. Obviously, like he's now he's now gone, too. And he is no longer the head coach of the New England Patriots. Now, he wants to keep coaching. That part's been made abundantly clear. And somebody may hire him. Somebody probably will hire him. But there's just been a lot of coaching change in the last couple of days between Pete, between Belichick, and then Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. He's now retired. That was, that was kind of stunning. Saban kind of, kind of shocked me a little bit. That just the, the three... The three coaches list, like first with Belichick and Carroll, like two goats, right? Belichick has all the Super Bowl titles. Pete won in college and won in the NFL. Something only three coaches have ever done. Won a won a title in both. Incredible stuff. And then Belichick, like they are two like opposite philosophies in every way. Like they are not close, and yet they are both very successful. And it's incredible. Both stepping away within stepping away fired mutually parted ways within the same 24 hours. And then the one we were not expecting was Nick Saban and the ripple effect that this will send through not only college football, but I think the NFL too, of what follows Nick Saban. I don't have many comments on Nick Saban's legacy because he's the goat. Mm -hmm. That's not debatable. He, what he did at Alabama was insane and it will never be replicated. I would be shocked if it gets replicated. If it does get replicated, it'll be by the man in the state over at Georgia right now in, in Kirby Smart. Mm-hmm. So you said Michael Penix, and, and we were talking about Washington, and Washington being a better program than USC. Well, I don't know about you, Lyle, but we're, we're sitting here right now on Thursday evening. So Nick Saban has been out of the job for a little bit over a day now. And they said from the moment Nick Saban retired that it would take max 70, 72 hours to name a new head coach in that span. I believe from what I've read, Steve Sarkeesian has already said, no, he was call number one. Call number two is Dan Lanning. He made very public today on both Oregon's official football Twitter account and his own Twitter account that he would not be going to Alabama and that he would be staying in Eugene. So that leaves number three on the list. Kalen DeBoer from Washington, whose Huskies just lost the national championship on Monday. He has not tweeted in three days, first of all. Second of all, there was a private jet scheduled today from SeaTac to Tuscaloosa in the afternoon. And you've not heard anything on Kalen DeBoer's front on whether or not he's taking the job. The thing is, 
like after Kalen, like Alabama, I feel like would be reaching down for a head coach. And the University of Alabama does not reach down for head coaches. Unless unless they pull somebody from the NFL, which is possible. Right. Who are you sure? Possible. What NFL coach wants to deal with transfers and NIL right now? I don't know, but I and I don't know if there's any validity to this at all. But I did see somebody tweet out today, like Matt Eberflus, and I don't know if that's really <laughs> much of an upgrade from Nick Saban. <laughs> I, again, I don't, I, I'm not saying there's any validity to that, but I did see somebody somebody today tweet that out. So, and it was somebody that gained a lot of traction on the tweet. So. Lyle, I think Kalen DeBoer is going to be the next head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I think that by the time many of you listen to this podcast on Friday, it'll be official. Well, he's got an in-person interview on KJR in studio at what I believe is going to be 8 p.m. Pacific time. 8 a.m. Or sorry, did I say p.m.? Yeah, a.m. He could be doing one of, well, I guess three things. I guess he could just be recapping the season, and when he inevitably gets asked about his future, he's going to say, we're, we're just going to let it all play out. But I think one of two things is going to happen on that interview. He is either going to publicly announce on KJR that he is headed to Tuscaloosa to take the Alabama head coaching job, or that he is planning to stay at the University of Washington, and he loves being a Husky. I think it's going to be one of those two things. He very well could love being a Husky. Why would he stay at Washington if Alabama offers him the job? Why did Dan Lanning stay at Oregon? It's kind of the idea of sometimes the grass isn't always greener. So that's that's the point. There will be less pressure at Washington. I think that's the only plus. Here's the difference between Washington and Oregon. Oregon could match whatever salary Alabama offered. Whatever. Phil Knight would sign the check for whatever Dan Lanning wants to match Alabama's offer. Alabama offers 12. Phil Knight pays 12. Not an issue. Facilities at Oregon, nicer. Not a problem. Helps Nike headquarters are there. Second, uh, another thing. We talk NIL. Biggest, one of the biggest things when it comes to recruiting now. Oregon has like the best NIL program in the country because they have former Nike executives running their collective. Like They have this down. Mm-hmm. like To the tooth. Take a look at Oregon's recruiting. They don't have an issue getting guys from wherever to come to Eugene because of that. Sure, Dan Lanning's very energetic and a very good recruiter and pitches his players well, but I'm sure they're getting compensated very well for mm-hmm. what they're doing. They have the backing of an SEC program there because of Phil Knight. So that's why I think that. He has everywhere everything he could neither. Oh, by the way, did you know this? Not only does Dan Lanning fly private to recruit, but all of his assistants do too. You know how big that is? Yeah, that's pretty clutch. You're not traveling yeah. through public airport or just, you know, the normal airports and going through the lines at TSA and flying on a big flight. Yeah, you just have your own flight. Now, okay, so that information, I remember that was a crystal ball thing, but I, I would imagine I'm going to give Josh Pate a shout out because I believe he was the one who initially said this when Mario Cristobal, if you remember two years ago when he was going to Miami, comparing the two jobs. He mentioned that about the Ducks. I would imagine that has stayed the same with Dan Lanning, if not increased to keep him there. Washington doesn't have that. Washington's a a top 30 college football program for sure. They have resources. They have a fantastic stadium. They have very good facilities, everything else. But it's not Alabama. No, no, it's not. 
and what is what would you say Kellen DeBoer's one hole is in his coaching? I guess that he hasn't won a national title. Besides, it's his recruiting. Yeah, yeah, his yeah. recruiting has not been great. And what better place to recruit than going to Alabama? Wouldn't have any issue recruiting. You don't have to recruit. It's easier to recruit Alabama. If you already can get people to buy into your message, you don't have to convince them to come all the way out to Seattle. You're right there in the heart of SEC country where all the best players in the country play. And apparently in the past, Alabama's been interested in Ryan Grubb too, who's the Washington OC. So I would have to assume if DeBoer takes that job, Grubb is probably going with him, which would really just be such a tough blow for UW fans. Right when you feel like this program has been built back up, they can be a contender, they can get in big time recruits, they can they can truly hang with the big guys, especially moving to the Big Ten. All of a sudden, the entire program is going to get gutted if DeBoer leaves. Because again, so many of his assistants are going to go with him, he's going to take recruits with him, et cetera, et cetera. That would be tough for UW. Now, he may take the job, but that would be tough. I will say, I don't know how much how much this holds in his decision, how much weight this holds. Kalen DeBoer's daughter is committed to play softball at UW. Maybe that plays a factor. Maybe. And maybe you know if they else? give him a huge raise of a lifetime contract, maybe that keeps him. But we'll see. Haven't heard anything about a contract yet. That's, no. that's the thing. People are very nervous that they haven't heard a contract. And I was going to add... You know who else has a pretty good softball program? Alabama. Yep. Shout out friend of the pod, Caleb Bro. Bro. Now Alabama softball coach. There you go. Look at all these connections we're drawing up. I know. That's my prediction. Uh, It would suck for Husky fans. They would go into the Big Ten being the sixth or seventh best school. Maybe. Lower. Yeah, they, they probably wouldn't be set up for a great year next year. No. And with... What I predict, whenever the next round of real, realignment happens and some schools start breaking off, UW's not at the top of their game. Do they get added to that collection? Maybe not. It's important. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Man, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of hypotheticals to unpack on this show. We talked about Pete, but we've got the Blake Snell hypothetical. We've got the DeBoer hypothetical. Like, it, it, welcome to the off season. This is yeah. a show of hypotheticals. I will. I'm just going to close this out with, I'm just amazed that the 24-hour period we got. You and I will never experience that again in our lives, what happened in the last 24 hours with those three coaches. Never. It's incredible. The amount of success that those three have had and the fact that what has to line up for the three of them to depart, retire within 24 hours is unprecedented. and just appreciate all them for what they were and appreciate the news cycle we get after it. That's a good way to phrase it. I like, I like the way you phrase it. I couldn't have said it any better. So get ready for a new age of football, both college and pro. We'll see what happens with Kalen DeBoer. The next time we record speak your mind, I'm sure by then we'll have an answer. So we'll see. All right, I think that just about wraps up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form pod, you can do so wherever you get your audio podcasts. Make sure if you're listening to download our episodes, leave us a five-star review, follow the show. Those reviews and those downloads, they help us out a ton. So if you just take a few seconds to do that, that's a big thank you and a big help to us. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube where our full video podcast is. Also a big help. And then go check us out on social media. 
on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.